You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. But I, I just happened to browse one of the, the, the Florida Trail groups on, on Facebook, and I saw where someone wrote that there was no water for like the first 22 miles of yeah. uh, of Big Cypress. And I was like, what? That's even longer mm-hmm. than, you know, the first stretch of, of uh, the PCT in the Southern California desert. So... That seemed weird that you'd be hiking in the Everglades and there would be no water for, for more than 20 miles. That was Kyle Mayer Rurig, 2019 Florida Trail thru-hiker and author of several trail memoirs from his adventures on the AT, PCT, and Florida Trail. And I'm Misty Ridley Little, host of the podcast. As so many of you already know, Kyle hiked the Florida Trail in 2019 alongside his friends Schwapps and his blind Shibu Unu Katana. If you followed his social media feeds, you were aware of how he managed to hike the entire Florida Trail with Katana, as she had a prime seat by riding on Kyle's back, or eventually as she gained confidence to hike portions of the trail herself. It was incredibly awe-inspiring. This episode has been one and a half years in the making, as Kyle and I have attempted to connect to record an episode multiple times. But Kyle is a busy hiker, and since the Florida Trail, he has become a triple crowner, as well as through-hiked the Pinhoti Trail, and has had many other adventures. But we finally made it happen and had a conversation about his hiking beginnings on the Appalachian Trail, finding himself on the Florida Trail and exploring his home state, and how his trail memoir writing has allowed him to express himself creatively, but also allowed him to get out and create the lifestyle he desired. Just a heads up, we recorded via Google Voice on our phones, so the audio quality isn't as good as it typically is via other recording services, but the conversation is clear and understandable. All right, on to the episode. Yeah, so Kyle, again, thank you for taking the time. I know you said you didn't do uh, too many podcasts or reach out to doing too many interviews, but I appreciate you taking the time because I know a lot of people would be interested in hearing your story, plus you just have a book out about the Florida Trail that you just published, and I know a lot of people are have, were very invested in your story on the Florida Trail in 2019. But first, I want to maybe, if you want to introduce yourself, like, who are you, where you're from, and kind of how you got into hiking all of these long-distance trails? Yeah, uh, Thank you, Misty, for having me on, and uh, the pleasure is all mine. And, um, yeah, we've been trying to, to get this to happen for, for a while. I'm glad we're finally doing it. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I got into hiking kind of, I, uh, kind of by accident, I guess you could say. I was doing the, the 9 to 5, uh, or in my case, more of like the 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. thing on the hamster wheel. Mm for year after year and I was making, you know, good money and kind of enjoyed enjoy what I was doing. I was a I was a personal trainer and I had my own studio mm-hmm. and I just got really burnt out on it. And I kinda lost my passion and I was just I felt like even though I was only twenty three, twenty four at the time, I felt like my life was just passing me by and I wasn't doing any of the things that I thought I would be doing at that age. And so I did what all my friends and family just thought. They thought I was crazy, you know, going from having a successful business and just deciding to turn it all upside down. And I kind of just stepped away from it all, got rid of, didn't get rid of them, I guess, but uh, just passed all my clients off to other trainers, leased out all my equipment, just shut, basically closed up shop and just wanted to figure out what my next chapter was going to be. And I thought the best way to do that was to take, like, a long vacation. And Mm -hmm. the Appalachian Trail had been on my radar when I was a teenager, but I didn't know anything about it, and it kind of reemerged on my radar. And so I just thought, I'll go do this crazy long hike, and there's no way I won't figure out what's next is kind of yeah. how I had it in my head. And I never in my wildest dreams thought that, you know, hiking and writing about hiking would be the next thing that I do um, as far as um, I don't want to call it. A, it feels weird to call it a career, but I guess just a lifestyle. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I went out and I did that hike and – after a series of what might be might be considered uh, unfortunate events, 
uh, a silver lining of those events led me to write a book about the experience. And strangely enough, people people read it and continue to read it, and it's been <laughs> enough to continue to hike and uh, keep writing more books. And uh, yeah, yeah, I've just been living the dream since then. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, your books. I have. I started your Florida Trail one. I haven't had a chance to finish it, but you know, I've poked around at your other books, and they definitely seem to be well received. And some of the more popular uh, hiking memoirs, at least out there, that I've I've compared against. Um, so it seems like that's been a successful niche for you to be able to write and hike and kind of do some other things and give you that freedom to to do the life that you want. Yes, absolutely. Um, I I never saw it coming, to be honest. And, right. Uh, okay. I don't know. I'm gonna ride. I'm gonna try and ride this wave for as long as I can and uh, see see where else it takes me. Right. Right. So you so you did the AT. You I think dabbled in the PCT and maybe didn't quite finish that trail. And I know you're from Florida, right? Is that correct? Uh, yes. So I, I have done the AT and I have through hiked the the entire PCT and the CDT one and a half times. I was the the CDT on the first try. I got snowed out in Colorado and uh, okay, that's the one you didn't finish. I, okay. Yeah. So I I went home early from that one. Yeah. Then I went back and I I through hiked that one in its uh, entirety last year, uh, along with the Florida Trail, and yeah. then did the Penhody Trail also. Uh, this year, right before COVID, uh, right, right, got into full swing. So, yeah, you but, had a busy yeah, year, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's been, yeah, it has been very much so. Yeah. So, so you're from Florida. Did you ever? Okay, back up a little bit here. Actually, so you're <laughs> a, you were a personal trainer. Did you do any hiking? Were you out exploring Florida at all before you went on the before even? Thought about going to the Florida Trail, or how did you even, how did Florida and hiking and all of that come together? So I didn't even know that there was a Florida Trail until I got into the long distance hiking. Um, I had seen some of the orange blazes around, and I'd seen some signs for the Florida Trail just in the the twenty years that I've I've lived in the Northwest Florida Panhandle. Uh, I never looked into what it was or where it went or anything like that. And I would even say probably up to two years after I finished the AT, I didn't even know, I didn't really even know that the Florida Trail, uh, existed, you know, uh, to the extent that it does, uh, you know, being an 1100 or more mile trail stretching from uh, Key West or the Everglades up to, to Fort Pickens or Blackwater, depending on which route you take. But, uh, yeah, that, that, I was actually into the long distance hiking for a little bit before I even realized that. And I inadvertently was, I guess, hiking on the Florida Trail for the last 20 years, um, just in various <laughs> places around Eglin and, uh, and obviously, so it goes through Navarre, comes over the Navarre Bridge, and yep. then shoots down what is it like twenty eight miles or something like that down the uh, down the island to uh, Fort Pickens. Mm-hmm. So I've been I've been walking on and swimming and fishing on and and hanging out on the Florida Trail inadvertently and unknowingly for for almost two decades, I guess. And, yeah, uh, that was about yeah that was about the extent of it. Okay, so. I- so I guess after that, like, how did you decide that Florida, Florida was worth giving, giving it a shot for as a long trail? Other than you know, there's so many other long trails out there. Was it just because you know, it's your home state and it was something worth trying? What was the lure to to get you in there? Uh, I would say it being my home state was probably in the top top three reasons or top two reasons. Uh, the number one is just how unique it is. I mean, Florida is just, Florida trail aside, Florida in itself is just so infamous. You know, the, the Florida man and all the, all the online references and memes of just how, you know, batshit crazy Florida is in regards to people and, uh, environment and just the wildlife and that kind of stuff. 
I like things that scare me, I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. They excite me. Um, when the scarier something seems, the more I kind of want to confront it, and that seems, I guess, kind of counterintuitive, and it's not really maybe it sounds like like a machismo thing to say but i don't know i just i like i like being scared and uh yeah. i like confronting those fears it, it feels good it feels good to 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 meet them and confront them so that was right. probably probably the biggest attraction uh to the florida trail was just it's so unique compared to any of the other trails uh in north america at least that that i know of Right, correct. I I would completely agree, and that's what I've. Except I talked to my some friends who hiked uh, down in the TA in New Zealand, and I'm starting to think that sounds like a very (laughs) sounds very much uh, more thrill-inducing than the Florida Trail in so many different ways. Um, Really? Yeah, there's some comparable comparable stuff in regards to the water and and being wet, but. uh, yeah, I think if you ever want to challenge yourself even more, I think that the the TA would be something to to think about for sure. It's, it's, uh... it's, yeah, it's been on my radar for a while. I think the TA has been on my radar even longer than the Florida Trail has. Um, but I've I've heard mixed reviews from people. Some people love it, some people hate it. But for yeah, me, yeah. the attraction of of the TA is, in my mind, that's Middle Earth. Like that's that's Lord of the yeah. Rings territory over there, and I'm, uh, I, if people have read, you know, the stuff that I write in, in my books. I make a lot of uh, Lord of the Rings type references, and I'm I'm just a, a super nerd when it comes to that stuff. So <laughs> I, I have to hike the TA. I have to hike it just because that's that's my Middle Earth uh, expedition. So it, it's got yeah. to happen at some point. Well, I think the challenge is there for sure. So, um, so I think I want to back up a little bit more because, you know, you're hiking this trail or any trail, all of these different trails, but you've had a, a canine partner for a lot of these trails as well. Uh, so maybe you want to introduce, introduce her and a little bit of background about, I mean, she's kind of probably why a lot of people follow you, honestly. I know you, um, <laughs> so um, yeah, let's talk about her a little bit because she's, you know, a big part of your hikes and you you man, manage your day around her a lot. So I think maybe some logistics and information about about her uh, too. Yeah. Um, so I have Katana. Um, she's my, my little dog, my little Shiba Inu dog. She weighs about 21 pounds. And she's she's 10 years old as of September this year, and she's been totally blind for about three of those years. Uh, she lost her eyes to glaucoma. Uh, she started mm-hmm. losing them when she was about five and a half, and by the time she was between seven and eight years old, she was she was totally blind. So I've had her for about 10 years, and she's been hiking with me for about going on seven of those years now, and. It's definitely been interesting. I never, it was never my plan to hike with her, uh, which I wrote about that in my, my AT book. I, I always thought it was going to be, I thought it would take away from the hike, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought my chances of, of completing the hike were going to be much less if I took her along. And that is certainly true. My chances definitely went down with her, but it was, no, I don't think I lost anything. I think I only gained in the experience. It was much harder with her along, but uh, I think it depends on who you are, whether that becomes a positive thing or a negative thing. And she, like they say, when you take a dog with you, it becomes their hike, not, not your hike anymore, and that's true. Every right. single decision that you make out there is based on, you know, is it good for the dog? And then you decide if it's good for yourself, but it's always the dog first. You decided to do the Florida trail and you're taking along a completely blind dog. Like that seems like all you're just talking about general hurdles of taking a dog. That's, you know, fully capable with its sight that now you're doing it with a completely blind dog, what are all the considerations about that? And you're going into the swamp <laughs> with alligators and yeah. people are already, you know, that's, 
that seems perilous as well. So I guess your decision to do that and then all of the preparations you had to do in training her, I mean, all of that's a very interesting aspect of your hike, to be honest. Yes. So she had done the AT with both her eyes. Then she lost one eye in the middle of the PCT and came out and finished that with one eye. And uh, she was on the CDT for me a little bit, with me for a little bit, and then her eye messed up, and so she her her final eye started to started to fade, and she went home from that. And then when she ended up going completely blind, I still wanted to hike with her, and I knew she still wanted to hike, so we started training new commands and. Uh, I decided the Florida Trail would probably be the best, or oh, maybe not the best. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of rationalized it in my head. Like if something goes, it's flat, so it'll be easy to carry her if need be, as a totally yeah. blind dog. Um, and we'll be in our home state, so if we need help, you know, it's no more than a day's drive from for anyone, uh, yeah. anyone that we know if if, if an emergency was to happen. Whereas in other cases, uh, usually you're days away and possibly a flight. But um, mm-hmm. so that was how I rationalized it was it's going to be flat. We're going to be close to home and we can just just deal with any challenges uh, that we meet out there and just really immerse ourselves in in her blindness as far as me getting to train her and her being able to build her confidence. Yeah. And so we went out and lucky for us, this ended up being a, I guess, sort of a hidden blessing. There was a government shutdown at the time. So, so uh, big Cypress was, no one was at big Cypress, which is the national preserve. So no employees mm-hmm. there and they normally don't allow dogs, but, uh, since there was no one to, to tell us no, we just <laughs> made a go of it. It was a ghost town. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, started out in Big Cypress, and I'll be honest, I, I thought I'd bitten off more than I could chew at the at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Florida ended up having a heat wave, uh, the hottest heat wave for, I think it was December or January at that time. It was like, Heat index was over 100, and it was, like, in the upper 80s and, and low 90s. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, on New Year's Day. It was insane. And it just about killed me getting her through the 30 miles of, of Big Cypress. It took us was it four days to get through Big Cypress. Mm-hmm. And I, I carried her for most of it. And, yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah. We ended up, we ended up hiking over 200 miles, close to 300 miles of the entire Florida Trail herself, and I ended up carrying her for around 800 miles of it. And okay. those couple hundred miles that she was able to do herself were just incredible. I was very impressed with how you started on the trail, you know, trudging through Big Cypress, and I can't imagine you carrying her through, you know, some of those thicker mud areas and not losing your balance, and and that was just impressive. But just how well you were able to, I don't know, train her on the fly, basically, and how she became just, I don't know, like you said, the confidence that came out in her by the time you were done with the, the hike from the beginning was just amazing. And, you know, at first, I just remember watching when you first set off being pretty skeptical, like thinking, oh, he's going to send this dog home or, you know, something's, something's going to happen. And by the end, I was like, I mean, you guys blew me away. And I think just the patience you had with her and having to slow down and not put, um, I guess, too much pressure on yourselves to to do more miles than you should be doing. And, and yeah, I don't know, you guys really overcame it all, and I think uh, – I was impressed, at least. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we we <laughs> did do it a little bit slower. Uh, most of the people that I know uh, who hike the Florida Trail usually do it between like forty and like fifty-five days or something like that. They do it. They do it pretty fast. Um, and we did. We we did it and took us a little over seventy days. I think it was seventy-three days. 
Mm-hmm. And the, I guess it's 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 not it's not that difficult. I guess you could say when when you're with an animal 24 hours a day, every day for weeks and weeks and weeks, you have nothing but time to to work with them and train them. And I guess when you look at it from that perspective, instead of just, you know, working with them for even a couple hours every day or a couple days a week or a few minutes every day, um, it's, it's, it's a totally, it's a totally different experience with, with training them. So she right. was able to pick up on that stuff really fast. I mean, within mm-hmm. days she was, she was already impressing me and mm-hmm. the commands we were focusing on were mostly just uh mostly stop commands and and I I I taught her how to just like to stop on a dime if she was getting close to something that was possibly going to harm her or or you know whatever anything that was that was sketchy or careful mm-hmm. she learned careful she learned uh, certain cues, I would, I would whistle or snap my fingers and she would, and she would just, uh, kind of correct her course towards, towards the noise. There's just all kinds of, there's a lot of little subtle things that we, that we worked on that, uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to really present yeah. them as an official training thing. It was just kind of like little things between us. Right. Things that I would say or do or noises that I would make and she just kind of, knew what to do I guess you could say and uh and it really yeah it really worked for us throughout the uh throughout the hike and it has carried over into other hikes too she did the Pinhoti trail with me and hiked about I'd say close to a quarter of that trail uh with me that was about a 350 mile trail she hiked about a quarter of it a little a little more mountainous than uh than the Florida trail yeah (laughs) But there's actually quite a bit of roads. There's close to 100 miles worth of worth of road walks on that yeah. one. But the trail was was really good. So when you you and Katana started the Florida Trail, but then about I don't know six days in, you were at the Seminole Reservation, and your friend Schwartz says, "Hey, I'm going to come down and do it." And it's like you started the trail completely over with him, <laughs> and then you two basically. I think you hiked together the entire time to the end, correct? We did, yes. Yeah. So um, talk about that relationship too. That's that's kind of cool that you guys were able, well, that you were even willing to to start over after all that work and miserable start to to go through Big Cypress again. Yeah. So yeah, Big Cypress that that first that first week on the Florida trail was easily the hardest week I've ever had hiking on, on any trail. That was, it was unbelievable and unbelievably difficult for me, at least with Katana and the conditions and just everything. And I had been trying to get Schweppes to come out and start that trail with me. And he'd been reluctant. He said he had no interest in doing that trail. And, of course, once I got out there and I started sending him pictures and everything, it got him fired up. And uh, I'd gone a couple days without service. And when I got to the just about the end of Big Cypress, um, I can't remember if he called me or I called him, but we ended up on the phone. And I was just I was sitting down in mud and water, just just sitting down in it with with Katana on my lap. I had an umbrella open, and just telling him about how crappy it was, (laughs) how cool, but how crappy it was. And, uh, and he played with the idea of, of coming out. He's like, well, man, I might, I might come out there with you. And, uh, just to kind of, of, uh, goad him a little bit further. I was like, well, you know, when I get to a town, I'll wait for you until you get there. And he joked that he would only come out if I started all over with him, if I started the trail completely (laughs) over with him. And so I kind of, I don't know if he was bluffing or not, but I decided to call his bluff and I, I said, all right, you come down and hike and I'll start this whole section over with you. And so he was like, all right, let me call you back. And he called <laughs> me back the next day and he says, I quit my job. I'm coming down. And, oh uh, yeah, that was it. So, uh, I, 
I got off the trail for about three days, grabbed a vehicle, picked him up at the airport, and uh, and we started it all over again without Katana. I had I had my uh, my sister bring me Katana after we got through Big Cypress again, but uh, it's much easier the second time. Second time, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. the first. Yeah, you know what to expect sure. when there's no dog on your back. <laughs> yeah, that, it had cooled down a whole bunch more. A lot of the mud had already dried up. It was it was exceptionally dry uh, starting out that year. I remember mm-hmm. thinking uh, one of one of the guys, one of my friends who had done it the year before, he was like, "Yeah, don't worry about water when you get to Big Cypress; it's going to be everywhere." And so I had planned for there to be just a ton of water, which I guess on most years there is. But I, I just happened to browse one of the the, the Florida Trail groups on, on Facebook, and I saw where someone wrote that there was no water for, like, the first 22 miles of yeah. uh, of Big Cypress. And I was like, what? That's even longer mm-hmm. than, you know, the first stretch of, of uh, the PCT in the Southern California desert. So that seemed weird that you'd be hiking in the Everglades and there would be no water for, for more than 20 miles. But sure enough, yeah. there wasn't, and uh, yeah. and it was it was rough. It was just a lot of mud, and yeah, no water. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it was better the second time around, and I think you guys had a fairly memorable hike. But I believe I think you guys did end up running into a, quite a bit of water when you got north Florida. That's if I recall that correctly. Yeah, uh, the storms rolled in sweet. Yeah, we ended up getting like the worst and best of, uh, of both worlds when we got up to like Apalachicola and, uh, and that whole area. And even, even parts of, of, uh, South Florida and getting up into, I think it's Osceola. It was just nothing mm-hmm. but water. Uh, Bradwell Bay was, was pretty flooded when we got there, which, uh, I'm sure many of your of your listeners are probably familiar with Bradwell Bay if they're mm-hmm. Florida Trail enthusiasts. But uh, Bradwell Bay was just a nightmare when we went through it, and it ended up being one of my favorite sections. Actually, um, it, hmm. it was one of it was it was probably one of the best examples of Type Two fun uh, yeah. that I think of in out of all the trails I've ever hiked. It was just total misery going through it. And it, I mean, not not total misery. I mean, it was we had a good time, kind of joking, but we were we were kind of miserable during it, and uh, and it was pretty painful uh, with all the all the scratches and stuff that we that we accrued from from just all the submerged debris. But uh, looking back, like I I wouldn't have wanted it to be any other way. That was such a fun challenge. Looking back, um, yeah, it was great. Definitely one of my favorite favorite sections for sure yeah yeah i know um and, and that that bradwell bay reminds me because i had a pearl and hawkeye on uh last february i believe and oh, awesome. they yeah they 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 had nothing but praise talking about you and uh Schleps, um because i think you gave them a lot of motivation to keep going uh along the trail when they were feeling down and I think they were going through Bradwell Bay, and I believe they had a better time of it than you did. And you were kind of like, "What? There's not as much water." <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. So I know um, that was they appreciated uh, you and and Schlitz, uh in the hiking community. But I think in general, like people on trails are some of our more memorable uh, aspects of our hikes. And so maybe did you have any other? folks that you encountered on the trail. I mean, I know you spent a lot of time with Poet and his family as well, but um, maybe talk a little bit about the people on the Florida Trail that you encountered besides, you know, your your hiking partner, Schwartz. Yeah. There weren't – I didn't meet a ton of, of like, crazy Florida man-type characters, I guess you could say. I met mm-hmm. early on on, on my first trip um, through Big Cypress and Alligator Alley. I uh, – I met this uh this Native American on the Seminole reservation named uh named Billy. And it turns out he was an alligator wrestler and had been on that show I think it's Swamp Men. Swamp Men hmm. or Swamp People. One I, I forget which one hunts alligators and the other one is 
I think it's Swamp People is where they're hunting alligators in like Louisiana or something like that. But he was on some show on on Discovery or Nat Geo called Swamp Men. And he was a he was a really interesting character. I met him. Him and his family were were gigging uh, gar uh, mm. in this. Uh, I guess it would be like a canal or a reservoir near this bridge on the Seminole Reservation. And uh, I talked to him for quite a bit, and I ended up giving him a pair of my uh, polarized sunglasses so he could see the gar a little bit better because he didn't have any on. And uh, and he ended up giving me. Uh, what's called an alligator button. Uh, it was just like one of the big um, kind of triangular scales that are on the backs or the tail of an alligator. And it had mm-hmm. been like dried, calcified, and he drilled through it and put like some uh, like some sinew or something and, and attached it to a key ring. And uh, he gave me that in return for the polarized glasses. So that was a really cool exchange. And I, I keep that uh, attached to my pack now since then I've, I've yeah. kept it attached to my back it's a cool yeah. uh, little souvenir and uh, let's see gosh what crazy people did we meet <laughs> uh, Poet was uh, he, he he's the owner operator of of one of the the oldest I think it's the oldest uh, uh, hostel on the Appalachian Trail not the longest running but the oldest uh i guess it started back in the i think it was the 70s and it's closed down a couple times and i don't know if it's changed names or not but it's a shaw's hiker hostel up in mm-hmm. uh munson Payne, right there at the end of the trail but uh we hiked with him and his family for for hundreds of miles and they were they were fantastic they've become really good friends and uh they live down in in micanope um near ocala I go down to to visit them every now and again, uh, now and again. Gosh, we really we didn't run into that that many hikers. I mean, I'd say we ran into probably on trail where we were hiking probably less than probably less than a dozen uh, other through hikers. And as far as crazy characters, we ran into a lot of hunters, some strange people, strange people in town. Uh, God, I forget the name of the town, but uh, we were just sitting out in front of this gas station for like an hour, and I wrote about this in the book, and people were just pulling up and just just littering left and right, just throwing stuff on the ground in front of this gas station, and there was like people camped out in their front yard drinking beer at like 10 a.m. on a, it was like a Tuesday, I think it was. (laughs) And this dude riding around on on a lawnmower, towing a like one of those Red Rider, uh, not Red Rider, um, radio flyer. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> red wagon, wagon, yeah, with a little white Chihuahua in the back. Yeah, it was it was just uh, it's like something out of a movie, and uh, <laughs> that was the most interesting characters I've seen in one place in a while, but. Uh, no, didn't have didn't have any close calls with people that I can recall off the top of my head. Um I guess all right, I guess did have one strain. I, I don't even think I can talk about it on here. Uh I ended up yeah. writing about it in the book, but it's pretty I guess it's kind of inappropriate. Um That's fine, you can skip it if you want. You can refer to the book. Okay, yeah, yeah, just refer to the book. It's it's a very it happens to do with a with a, a cell phone that was found on the side of a road walk. Um, strange story, but uh, Schweppes managed to. He was just finding stuff left and right. I always had katana on my back for the road walks, but Schweppes was just. He was finding wallets on these road walks. He's finding cell phones on the road walks. Found a lot of uh, find a lot of interesting things on on the road walks aside from from roadkill but uh yeah uh yeah roadblocks are very interesting (laughs) yeah they are he found this wallet and it had 140 dollars in it and uh the id and everything was in there we managed to get a hold of the guy and this was um a tribute to the saying no good deed goes unpunished and uh he didn't necessarily get punished but this guy kept 
once Schweppes got a hold of him and told him he had his wallet and that he wanted to get it back to him, this guy would not stop uh, basically harassing Schweppes to, to tell him to tell him our location so he could come and get it. And Schweppes, we were in between towns at that point, and and he was trying to explain to the guy like we're not anywhere you can meet us. Like we're in the middle of the woods, we're doing this hike. I'll, I will. I will let you know when we get into the next town. Oh and the guy just wasn't, he wasn't understanding. And he finally yeah. got like belligerent and was just like, I just want my things back. Are you like, are you going to steal from me? And blah, blah, blah. And it got really awkward uh, in their exchange. And uh, Schweppes just ended up getting his address and mailing it to him instead of, instead of meeting him. But uh, yeah, it ended up, uh, not being this wonderful return of the wallet that we thought it was going to be. Right, <laughs> like being, hugs and uh, oh, y'all are hikers. Yeah, it just ended up, yeah, it just ended up being an awkward, crude exchange. Like, like hey, if he was going to steal it from you, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have reached out to you, you know. Right, but, right. But yeah. Um, and then there was something else that I don't know if you kept it the whole way. I think you mentioned it early on. You were trying to do a carnivore diet. How did that work out? Yes. Uh, so, Coming from like a fitness and nutrition background, I've I've enjoyed experimenting with with different ways of eating and different uh, different diets, especially on trail. Um, and on the CDT, I did I tried to do not zero carb, but only only uh, complex carbs, so no sugars. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being one of the one of the best moves I've ever made. Uh, no crashing, no excessive snacking. I didn't eat nearly as much uh, as I usually do. And I felt a lot better. And I had experimented with the carnivore diet, uh, which is a zero-carb diet. It's just fat and protein. And I know I know, talking about diet can be like talking about religion or politics these days. So yeah. it's always like a touchy subject. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I... I tried the carnivore diet a couple of years ago, and I'll be honest, it's the best I've ever felt in my life. Um, I've never felt so good as I have on the carnivore diet, and so I wanted to see how sustainable it was uh, on a trail, long-distance hiking. And without going into, into too much crazy detail, it is extremely difficult to maintain on a, yeah. a long-distance hike. and I don't know. I'm sure someone could do it. I didn't have the discipline to uh, to continue. I did it for. I think I managed to keep it up for a little over a week. Was all I did it all through. Uh, okay. Big Cypress. Um, okay, maybe not even a week. No, because I ended up eating the uh, the Indian tacos uh, on the. Oh, that's Reservation. right. That's right. Yeah, so it was like maybe five or six days before I before I broke down, and I was just like, "No, this is through carnivore diet is not for through hiking." But um, yeah, but yeah, up until then, I had just packed out, I packed out a bunch of steaks and uh, and and some bacon and stuff like that, and that's that's what I was cooking uh, on trail, and yeah. No, I was just curious because I know yeah. there is generally a trend in trying to better a our, our backpacking diet because, you know, as everybody knows, it's Pop-Tarts and ramen and whatever other yeah. junk and food that we can carry. <laughs> but there is a trend to try to, or at least some people are trying to do better about, hey, how you can eat more whole foods and just generally be better to your body while you're on these long trails. You're already heating it up by hiking thousands of miles day after day, um, well, 20s of miles day after day, adding up to thousands (laughs) of miles. Um, So, but in adding in the better nutrition aspect, I was just curious because I was like, man, how are you going to keep that up? I mean, I could see, you know, you're carrying packets of tuna and packets of chicken, but then you said you're bringing steaks out there, and I was like, wow, that's impressive. (laughs) I was like, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would keep. Uh, I, I would always get like the vacuum sealed ones, like the grass fed uh, vacuum sealed ones, vacuum sealed steaks. And I think I had one in my pack for over three days, and this is in like eighty degree uh, heat. And I pulled it out and cooked it. And I mean, I'm only cooking it medium rare. I didn't. I didn't die or get sick. So 
Yeah. It was fine. I think I think we're good to carry things, uh, you know, outside of uh, what could you say? I guess like a a refrigerated environment uh, for a lot longer than we than we think. Right. But but yeah, I have I've I've tried to experiment with with the different ways of eating on long hikes, and it always seems to to devolve back into you know copious amounts of sugar. But I have, yeah. there are, I think there are groups on Facebook for like ketogenic hikers and there's plenty of vegan hikers out there. Um, yeah. And all of that who, who managed to, to hike the trail successfully as, as vegans, a lot of people do. Yeah. I, I just worry that I'm going to give myself diabetes with all that, all the damn sugar that yeah. I end up eating <laughs> on most hikes. It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so I want to transition now to your book writing. Have you always been interested in writing, or how did that come about after AT Hike? You just thought it was a natural transition to just to write your memoirs down, to get it out into the world, and how has that evolved over the last several hikes? Yeah, so that was something that I never in a million years thought that that I would do, let alone get paid to do or, or make a make a living off of. And I, I've always enjoyed writing as a, as a kid. I've, I've got writings from when I was in like elementary school and, and middle school. And I guess looking back, I guess, I guess I had a knack for it. I wouldn't have told you I had a knack for it at the time or any time in my life, honestly. It was just something I like to write stories and I like to read and I like to, to, to write about my experiences. And when I went out to, when I went and hiked the AT, I kept, a very detailed uh, daily journal. Uh, every single day it was written down. So when I finished the AT, I had hundreds of pages of of, of these journals that had captured, you know, the entire hike, every the mileage of every day, the daily conditions, locations, just everything was was right there. And I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have done anything with it if I hadn't needed. Uh, ankle reconstructive surgery after the AT. Mm. So so I had that surgery. I'd, I'd broken my ankle 500 miles into the AT and and continued to hike with a, with a heavy brace on, which probably a dumb thing to do, but ended up working out. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so I had the surgery, and during the downtime, uh, I just out of boredom started streaming all of my my journals, daily journals, into like a, I guess a cohesive narrative of the hike, and I don't think I ever would have done that if it wasn't for having that surgery and breaking my ankle. So those were just like what you would consider to be setbacks, ended up being kind of blessings in disguise. And I wrote the book in probably about four months, and then I didn't want to publish it. I thought it was crap, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who do think it's crap, but uh, I'm, a, I'm my own worst critic. But uh, I had this book, I had this manuscript, and I didn't want to publish it. I didn't want to send it out or anything. I just kind of wanted to keep it and just let friends and family read it as as something, you know, they could read about this cool thing that someone that they they know did. And... I ended up mentioning it to some some other hiker. I was at like a trail magic event on the AT in 2015, and I mentioned that I I had written written a book about about my my hike, and I didn't really know what to do with it. And the guy had mentioned he's like, why don't you just publish it for free on on Kindle Direct Publishing? And I was like, you can do that. And he was like, yeah, mm-hmm. you just publish it for free. And I was like, all right, so. Uh, Several weeks after that, I just decided to just self-publish it, thinking nothing would ever come of it. You know, I could just check check that box, you know, wrote a book, published it, you know, got to get on with my life, go find another job, figure out what to do. And I don't know why, I don't know how. Maybe it was the timing because I published it, I think it was a month or two before uh, the Walk in the Woods movie came out. Oh, yeah. I I I suspect that could be some of the timing just 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 completely coincidental fortuitous timing 
but uh, I published it in August, and that movie came out in sometime in September. And before I knew it, uh, the book had like spiraled into like an Amazon bestseller, and the positive reviews were overwhelming, and I was just dumbstruck that anybody cared at all what I had to say, let alone enjoyed reading about it. And uh, I still, I still wonder. I, I, I don't know how it happened or why it's continuing to happen, but it is. So I'm just going with it. But uh, that's how I got into it. And it, you know, the book's success was to the extent where I realized, hey, this is enough to, you know, with my minimalist lifestyle, this is enough to, to live off of and keep hiking and keep writing and just see how much I can, I can grow this. And, and that's that's where it's it's gone and continued to go for yeah gosh uh almost around six years now now do you ever think you'll pivot to traditional publishing or do you really appreciate the self-publishing aspect i really enjoy the self-publishing aspect um i've i've looked into into the major publisher and it, and it would be cool to say you know that a major publisher you know picked you up but I've I've read from other self publishers uh who've who've gone from self publishing to, you know, major publisher and they said you're better off selling, you know, 10,000 books self published than you are a million books, you know, through a through a big publisher and that your your creative your your creative freedom isn't really your own anymore and I've heard a lot of different things and I think I think for now, I, I enjoy just being, uh, I guess they call it indie authors or indie writers. I enjoy being mm-hmm. an, an indie writer and just, you know, having full autonomy uh, and control of of my work and what happens to it. So, I don't know. Uh, no plans to go with major publishers, but uh, who knows? Well, it's definitely a very uh, fortuitous position you found yourself in though being able to write and hike and just um and tell your story and get it out there and that people are are so interested that's that's really cool so i agree thank you yeah (laughs) so i know things are a little bit different this year with with covid but what's next for you do you have any you did the pinhoti earlier this year i know you've done some other little trips uh you know other not necessarily hiking related but do you have another trail in mind when when things are good to go, or are you keeping that kind of on the down low? Uh, I I usually don't announce any of my trips until I'm pretty much already on them. But I have uh, I have close to, I have around five thousand miles planned for next year. If everything if everything works out, um, pending all this crazy COVID stuff and just everything, if the world's not not trying to collapse in on itself uh ideally i've got about five thousand miles worth of of trails and through hikes that i want to do next year some with katana and and some without um some of the trails are are well known and and some are not but Mm -hmm. uh most of them are going to be are going to be out west and I'll hesitate to name them right now. People people will know some of them, but a couple of them yeah, yeah. people probably yeah, never fun. heard of. But there's a there's a there's a chance that me and this other guy, uh his trail name is Chippen, he's an English guy, and this is this also is kind of dependent on on whether he's able to come into the country next year. Uh I think we mm-hmm. have a travel ban from the UK right yeah. now. But um we have a route planned between Mexico and Canada that oh, has wow. not been, that has not been done yet, uh, stringing certain trails together, and we have that all mapped. Yes, so that I that's the one thing that's kind of up in the air. Like that's ideally we want to try and and string all of it together and do a. Do a, a route from border to border that hasn't been done yet, but um, the fallback from that is just to is to just pick a few of those of those trails that we're stringing together and just just hike those in their, their yeah. entirety and just move it up. 
Well, I, where can people follow those adventures online and, um, and buy your book and, and all of that good stuff? Um, you can follow, I have my blog, which is, uh, nomadicnuance.com. It's a mouthful. Um, the links to the books and, and social media and, and everything is, is on there. Um, when I hike, you just, you can subscribe. You can like subscribe with your email. And when I hike, uh, I do it so that it uploads a journal every single day. Um, so that you can have a daily fix of, of everything that's going out on the hike. And it doesn't upload in real time. It's usually on a two to three week delay. I have to kind of build up a buffer, I guess you could say, of days so that I can have it uploading every single day, even when I'm, when I'm, uh, you know, out of, out of service. For yeah. a few days at a time, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, I don't know how many people keep up hiking blogs that, that update every single day, but that's a pretty cool, pretty cool feature that I like to provide uh, during my hikes. So if people are interested yeah. in that, they can they can follow uh, the blog at nomadicnuance.com. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. I kept up with a lot of well, with your Florida Trail hike and a lot of your CDT hike uh, as you were uploading it as well, and. You just you're able to elaborate a lot more than you are on like Instagram or social media, so and, and more photos. So I appreciate hiking blogs. So and what you do. Awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad you appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> I think other people appreciate it too, based on how many comments you get. So and I'm not alone. So thank you. Well, um, thank you again, Kyle, for taking time to, to talk about your hike. And I know you've got a lot more um, adventure in store and. Um, I hope uh, Katana gets to come along on some of those, and we'll be I'll be watching and, and enjoying from afar. As Thank you, Misty. The pleasure was all mine. That's it for my chat with Kyle. I know there were so many facets to his story that enthralled me, and I'll have to buckle down and focus and finish reading his book very soon. I'll put the link to his book, as well as his trail journal entries, on the podcast website at orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com for y'all to check out as well as links to his social media to keep tabs on his upcoming 2021 adventures. All right, until next time, happy hiking.